All right, well, good morning. Welcome to Trace. How are we doing this morning? All right, be honest. How many of you guys, when Corey started talking about bad breath, just did one of these? I'm actually really wondering right now because nobody is sitting in the front three rows or two rows over here, two rows. I'm like, is it my breath? Like, what's going on? Hey, we're so glad you're here today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a trace of God's love, uh, especially if this is your first time here. We just want to say thanks for coming and checking this place out. It really does mean a whole lot to us. I want to piggyback off something Corey said really quick. Uh, one of the things that we're looking into right now when it comes to doing this food packing party that we hope many of you, if not all of you, participate in in some form or fashion because we both need finances to pull this, pull this off, but also people to help put the food together. But one of the things that we're looking into right now is if we can actually partner with Puerto Rico. Now, if you've been paying attention to the news at all, you know that, that it's just been devastated down there, and they need tons of help. And so uh, the organization that we're partnering with already had a connection with Haiti, which is why we were going with them. But we always want to kind of just step back and say, God, where's the need? Where can we make the biggest difference? And so Puerto Rico is one of those areas that absolutely need some help right now, but uh, we're trying to figure out if we can pay for the freight to get down there. That's something that we're not sure of. So all that to say is uh, we're trying to figure out like how can we best uh, you know, be the love of Christ in a tangible way right now and help people that need it the most, but also in a way that doesn't break the bank. And so our hope is that you'll continue to partner with us in that. If you want to sign up today to be a part of that event, you can go out in the lobby right after the service and sign up. And again, this is one of those events that you can partner with your kids and not just tell your kids the importance of serving others, but actually show them what it looks like. And so our hope is that you'll do that. Well, hey, um, when we sat down to figure out what this series was going to look like, the impetus behind it was simply this. We wanted to pull the curtains back on Trace Church and give you a behind-the-scenes glimpse into who we are. We understand there's a lot of new people that are coming here, and you're probably wondering and asking questions like, what's this church all about? And we get that, and so we want you to see who we are, but also why we do what we do. Because we don't want you just to come here and be a participant. We actually want you to take ownership of the things that we're trying to accomplish together. So many of us, and we're all kind of influenced by the American culture of becoming a consumer, and what that means is we go into our environments, whether it's the grocery store or church, and we consume, what can I get out of this experience? And as much as we want to give you things that will benefit and add value to your life, we also want for you to bring whatever it is that God's gifted you to do to the table of this church and your influence and maybe just your time of how we can accomplish this mission together. And so for the past several weeks, we've been talking about all the different things that we're hoping to accomplish, beginning with our mission. We, just, we don't want to be a church that just has a mission statement up on a wall. We actually want to be on mission, to leave a trace of God's love everywhere we go. Never being off the hook, but always wondering and being available to the Spirit of God. God, how can you use me right now or right here? and listening to see where God guides us. We want to be a, a church that's constantly on mission. And then we talked about our four key traces that we specifically want to leave, how we want to help families win. Let me talk about this really quick. Friends, this is a tangent I'm going to get off on really quick, but stay with me. The downfall of America, and not to say that America is like completely breaking apart, but I think all of us would probably see some breakdowns in our culture that we're not very uh, excited about. The downfall of the American culture is riding on the backs of the breakdown of the American family. Okay, and I know this is a strong statement. Guys, listen to me, please. Next statement. And the downfall of the American family is riding on the backs of the lack of intentionality among men. Friends, we want to partner with 
you and your, fa- <clears throat> and your families to help you win. Next one, we want to throw incredible parties around here. We want to throw parties specifically for people that nobody's throwing parties for. And so you're going to see us do this. Remember when Jesus said, when you throw a party, not if you throw a party, but when you throw a party, Jesus is expecting us to throw parties. But when we throw parties as being representatives of him, we want to throw parties for people that nobody else is thinking about. And that's why we're going to throw one of these food packing parties. And instead of celebrating anything that we're doing, we just want to celebrate the fact that God can use us to make a difference in a time and a need right now in a very tangible way. Next one, we extend hope when life hurts. Too often, life hurts, doesn't it? And then so often, we try to navigate it alone. God never intended us to do that, which actually leads me to our last one. Now we want to pursue Jesus in life with grit, meaning we make commitments in our life that God has things that he wants us to accomplish in our life, and he also has things that he wants us to fight against in our life, like sin and temptation and addiction and things. And we want to be one of those churches that understands that it takes grit. It take, it's a fight to not throw in the towel. But even no matter how many towels that you've thrown in, that we still want to come alongside of you. And this time, as you get back, you pick your towel back up and you get back in the fight. You don't do it alone. This time you decide to do it with others. Which leads me to my next three things. Last week I got up here and I talked about how as a church, we're not going to invest in a bunch of different ministries. We're not going to start this buffet-style ministry, but we want to pick three things that we feel can make an incredible difference. We feel like these three things maybe are the most gospel-centered things that we could be a part of as a church. And if we'll all get behind them and invest in them, we could potentially make the biggest difference. And so we talked about neighbors and getting in a neighboring group. But by the way, last week, 79 of you signed up for a neighboring group. Can I just applaud you for taking that bold of a step? Thank you for doing that. That's incredible. You still have an opportunity to do that today. If you want, right after the service, you can go out to guest services, and we still have groups that you can join. Uh, nations, uh, real quick, on a side note on this one. Um, we know that uh, this is an area because we want everybody to go on a trip. You're going to see that here in a second. But Corey and another guy in our church named Tim are going to be going on what's called a scouting trip this coming week down to Guatemala. And we've been praying and processing and planning on which area it's going to be that we focus on when it comes to our nation's focus. And so they're going to go down there for a week and just kind of pick at things and see if this is an area that we want to put our time, attention, uh, efforts, and even resources behind. And then next generation, how we all want to be a part of the next generation. And And from those three things, we came up with these action steps because we don't excuse me, we don't want you to be here and have ambiguity. I've been at churches where it's like, man, what's my next step? What am I supposed to do here? Like, what is it you're asking of us? Do I just show up on Sunday? Is that it? Is that check the box? I'm good? No, it's not. And so we want to put these action steps behind each of those three focuses where we want to see everyone, everyone in a group. We want everyone to go on a trip, and we know that's a huge step. We, we ask you, just don't dismiss the conversation, and we want all of us investing in kids and the next generation. Friends, if we do these, we feel like we could potentially make the biggest difference. And I made a bold statement last week, and I said, potentially, these three action steps, if you were to put them in place in your life, could cause the most life transformation in your journey with God. And so our hope is that you'll come here and you'll be an owner with us, that you'll take ownership of these things with us and not just be a spectator. But let me be crystal clear, just in case I haven't been up till now, why we do what we do. Friends, we do everything that we do here because of Jesus. Everything. 
Everything that we do here, we, our hope is that it will point people to him, back to him, that will introduce people to him. And so often in our lives, and even in the church, what happens is, even though we know Jesus is supposed to be front and center in our lives, so many things in this world start to distract us and start to pull our focus away and get us heading down a different path. And as often as possible, what we are trying to do is to get our eyes back on Jesus, friends, because he, listen, he is the greatest message of hope. It's not a Sunday school story. It's not a Christmas story. Sometimes I hate that we do this in church where we segment parts of the gospel and the stories that we know of to be true about Jesus. And it's like, hey, let's save that one for Easter. Let's save that one for Christmas. And we make this segmented approach to who Jesus is. Friends, let me remind you of something that's not a Christmas story. But it's the greatest message of hope of all mankind that came into the world. And because it did, everything changed. In Luke chapter 2, an angel showed up. said, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. That is not the Christmas story. That is the greatest message of hope, and we carry it with us. And because that's true, and it's not just a Sunday school lesson that we learned when we were little kids, friends, we now can have change, we can have transformation, we can have healing for our broken lives If we'll just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, it's always going to be about him. And what I want to make sure that we never do as a church is that we hide that message. But instead that we highlight it with everything that we do. Friends, Jesus is the one who transforms lives. Trace Church doesn't, I don't, Corey doesn't. And so we want to do everything we can as often as possible to point people to Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about him. But I want to do so with this question in mind. How do we know that we're reflecting the true character of Jesus? How do we know that we're actually pointing to him in in a way that he wants us to? How do we know that we're actually representing him in a way that he would like us to? And I think that question it leads us to our subject of conversation day, which comes around two particular words, the words truth and the word grace. If you're new here to Trace, you may not know this, it's our namesake, where we get the name Trace is where we took the word truth and we put it with the word grace to get the word trace. And so that leads me to our one thing today, and this is kind of what we're going to keep coming back to. Friends, the fullness of truth and grace is our only hope to fully represent Jesus. It's not the balance of truth and grace. If you've been coming here a while, you know we've, pr- we've talked about this subject several times. It's not the balance of truth and grace. It's not being in one camp versus the other, but it's about the pursuit of the fullness. And by doing that, we will be able to, not completely, not perfectly, but represent the love of Jesus in the most tangible and accurate way. One of the passages of scripture that elevates this and highlights this the best is in John's gospel in the beginning, in John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles with you today, you can feel free to turn there or turn them on, whatever it is. Or if you don't have your Bibles with you, you can always look at the screens and follow along with us. But uh, I want you to hear what John has to say when it comes to the subjects of truth and grace, beginning in verse 14. He says, the word became flesh. Man, I could preach a sermon on that. 
The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full, everybody say full, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. Out of His fullness, everybody say fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now let's pause there for a second. Now I'm going to infer something here, and I want you to, when I do this, I want to be clear that I'm inferring it. I'm not saying it's fact, but if, if I were to read this uh, in the way that, in the context in which John is delivering it, here's what I think he's saying. For the law was given through Moses. Let me sum up the Old Testament for you. I feel like that's what John is doing here. Hey, if you want to go back to the Old Testament, man, it was all about the law. It was given through Moses. But now there's a new covenant. There's a new testament. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I think what John is trying to do is actually just sum it up and as succinctly as he knows how. Yeah, the law, the Old Testament, that, was, that came through Moses. It was about the Ten Commandments. It was about pointing out that you're going to need a Savior because you can't live life perfectly. But now, it's about grace and truth. And those things, man, they come through Jesus He finishes by saying, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now, in order for us to have an educated conversation around these two really important subjects today, I think it would be important for us to define them. That way we're all at least looking at these two particular terms with the same lens. And so let me define these for you. The Greek word for truth is the word aletheia. It means fact. A reality, it's the opposite of an illusion. And the Greek word for trace would be the word charis. It's the unmerited favor of God. I love that definition, the unmerited favor of God. Now, when I was looking these two up for this sermon, I saw something in one of the concordances that I was looking at, uh, a definition I hadn't seen before, and it said leaning towards to share benefit. Friends, Jesus is leaning towards you to share in his benefit. I want you to hold on to those definitions because they're going to come up here in a second when we take a poll together. But let me, let me build off of this idea of leaning towards something. Have you ever noticed the propensity that you have, we all have, in leaning towards one direction versus another in several different aspects of our life? Let me give you a few, few examples. We lean more towards a particular political party. We lean towards either being cat people or dog people cat people in the room anybody yeah the door's right there uh dog i'm just kidding just kidding we love cat people just not as much as dog people dog people in the room okay we lean towards being an introvert or an extrovert how many extroverts where you at like both hands Woo-hoo! yeah extroverts in the room man you guys aren't participating very much this morning uh introverts introverts right see if you were a true introvert you never would have raised your hand to begin with you would have been like oh, i'm not gonna do that uh, we lean towards liking golf or an actual sport. Um, I'm an equal, equal opportunist offender here this morning. Uh, we lean towards loving coffee or just being a boring person. Coffee lovers in the room, yeah. You know when it comes to the subjects of truth and grace, you do lean in one direction or the other. You know why I know that? Because it says Jesus came full of both. Guess what? We can never be completely like Jesus. 
And so throughout our lives, for whatever reason, we're going to talk about this today, we've decided to lean, maybe not even decided, maybe we just kind of drifted in one direction versus the other. Let's take a quick poll. Based on those definitions that we uh, just described, how many of you would say that you're a grace person? You lean first towards grace, okay? How many would say truth? How many would say truth? Okay, decent balance, decent balance. Let me remind you one more time. One thing, there it is. Uh, the fullness of truth and grace. Not one camp or the other. Not, a, not even a balance. The fullness of truth and grace is our only hope to fully represent Jesus. So I wonder what it is that swings the pendulum. I'm going to have them throw up this illustration here in a minute. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about this. Even if you go back in church history, you're going to see that at some points in time, go back 2,000 years, the church decided to move more in the direction of grace, but they did so at the expense of truth. And what I think probably happened is they get so far in the area of grace that they start to think to themselves, man, we're not representing God's truth enough. And they start to see it and feel it, and there's tension there, and so they start to move back the other direction. But instead of stopping and being full of both, they swing the pendulum. You can see this. I've read books about this. The pendulum swing between the church, uh, or the, these two areas within the church and its history. And they'll swing back over to truth. And what my guess is, is they start to live in that culture of being too much truth that sometimes comes out by being condemning and judgmental when it doesn't have grace to partner with. And they figured out, it's like, whoa, 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 we got this wrong. And so now we, man, we got to start representing more grace. And if you ask me today, just a personal opinion, I think we're in an upswing towards grace because for too long we were embracing too much truth within the church and doing so at the expense of loving others the way that Jesus would and did and does. And so that's where I think we're at today. Now, what I don't want to do is I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about where the church is or has been and why. What I want to talk about today is what swings our pendulum. What causes our pendulum to go in one direction versus the other? And although I could go many different directions with this conversation, I want to focus on three today. I think there are three primary areas that have a tendency to make our pendulum swing towards being in the grace camp or being in the truth camp. And I think those revolve around our experiences, the culture, and then our own personal preferences. So let's talk first about our experiences, and I'll begin with this. And this is something that has happened to me, happens to me personally. Maybe you can identify with these things as I explain them. A few weeks ago, I was uh, on social media, and somebody, I had said something about praying for the hurricane victims, uh, and somebody had responded uh, on my Facebook page and said something to the extent of, Aaron, don't you think they're getting what they deserve? And when I hear things like this, my pendulum swings, and it starts to go in the area of grace, because I know that kind of noise is out there. And I know a lot of people hear it, and because they hear it and they see it, and then they even experience it from certain Christians, then they develop a, a mindset of who they think God is that is completely inaccurate. Now, let me be clear. I'm, I'm, I do believe that God is a perfect balance of mercy and wrath, but he doesn't give us what we deserve. Because if he gave us what we deserve, friends, we all deserve hell. Listen to me, on my best day, I deserve hell. On my best day. I need Jesus every single day. 
I need his grace and his truth every single day. And so my pendulum swings, and what happens is I do so, that, that swing does so at the expense of truth sometimes in my life. And I just want people to hear a message of love from God, that he's not sending you what you deserve. I am so thankful that we don't worship a God that gives us what we deserve. And then my pendulum has a tendency to swing the other way when it comes to the mistreatment of children. I know I'm the person, I'm your pastor, right? I've got the platform and the microphone up here. I'm supposed to tell you that you always need to be forgiving, and you should, okay, just so we're clear. When it comes to the mistreatment of children, one of the things that I've learned about myself is I don't have a lot of grace to offer. I'm not a very forgiving person. And so when I hear things that are being done to children, my truth goes up really high. And I want justice. But Jesus, and this is hard for me, says, no, even in those situations, you need to be full of both grace and truth. I'm just not there. Now, if you add my kids to the equation, somebody messes with my kids, and you might as well change the name of this church to truth, truth that hurts, right? Nobody better mess with my kids. Second one is culture. Culture has a tendency to lead us, right? You've heard me talk about the path of popular opinion, and culture has a tendency to lead us to swing towards one direction more than the other. And if you're not allowing God to lead your life, you're, it's very likely that you're going to be influenced by the path of popular opinion. And so let's talk about something. Let's go into the danger zone today a little bit. And I just want to have a conversation with you today, okay? There's nothing about what I'm about to say that's judgmental, but maybe you'll hear something that you haven't heard before, and so hopefully this is helpful. Let's talk about the legalization of marijuana. Some of you guys just took a deep breath and big swallow. It's okay. I want to talk about this because this is a perfect example. You know, this was a paradigm shifter for me. I've been here a little over two years now, and I came from Arizona, which didn't have this in place. They didn't have the legalization of marijuana. And so I come up here, and, and I'm just going to use a Christian context, okay? I'm not even going to talk about people that don't believe in Jesus. I'm never going to tell somebody who does, doesn't believe in Jesus what they're supposed to do with their life. Apostle Paul says this. He says, who are we to tell them what to do if they're not a part of the body of believers? And so, but what I want to do, because I've even had these arguments with Christians, is I want to talk about this in the context of both truth and grace, right? Because what happens for some of us, if we already lean towards the area of truth, and maybe you're talking to somebody who has put their faith in Jesus, and it's like, you know what, I'm just, it's legal now, right? It's not, not worse than alcohol. There, there's some good arguments for that. I'm, I'm going to have an honest dialogue with you this morning, okay? There's some good arguments with that. It's like, well, what makes it different is if I go out and have a beer or if I go out and smoke a joint or whatever that looks like. So what they do, people, if they lean towards the side of truth, is they just keep throwing arrows, right? Oh, people, you know, those, those are stupid people making horrible mistakes. You're losers. Uh, that's, you know, it's, this is just justifying. You're going to, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, whatever it is they say. And the grace side probably says, man, it's no different. People want to go out and get drunk. If they want to smoke weed, like let them, let them do whatever they want. It's legal now, right? Let me ask you a question. When did we start taking our cues from the government? Friends, we take our cues from our Savior, the guy that can transform your heart. Not me. Definitely not the government. So we got to be careful where we're taking our cues from. 
Now, this is where this conversation, I'm going to allow it to go a little bit deeper, okay? I used to smoke a lot of pot a long time ago. And so I can personally tell you that what it did to me is that it started to take my personality away. And I also watched it take the personality of my friends away. So you can justify it if you want to the end of your days, whatever that looks like. I'm not, I'm not going to judge you for it. I'm trying to give you some wisdom, hopefully. But when it comes to that whole medical conversation, here's where I would also say, I just watched my, my aunt die of a, one of the most debilitating diseases, ALS, that you can possibly imagine. And marijuana helped her. And when I'm watching what's happening in her life, man, what's in my, in my mind, I'm thinking, who am I to judge this, right? I mean, I've taken prescription narcotics before because I've dealt with chronic pain with it in my neck. I used to have a herniated disc. So who am I to say what they should and shouldn't take if it's being prescribed? And watching my aunt go through that, I'm like, man, I'll roll it up for you. That's too far. Way too, the filter didn't kick in there. Sorry. But friends, listen to me. Others of you are just justifying. Right, there's a great chance there's people in here. Okay, I get it. Doesn't mean you're not welcome here. I, I promise you I'll never judge you. I'm just trying to give you some wisdom. Okay? See, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, really wise words. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be renewed. One of the things I can tell you won't happen is your mind will not be renewed if you continue to smoke a lot of weed. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, big transitional word, then, then you'll be able to test what God's will is for you, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I can't speak for you, but I would love to know what God's will is for my life on a daily basis. But in order to get there, I've got to not conform to the patterns of this world. In Ephesians, when Paul's writing to Ephesus, he says this, Don't be drunk on wine, but be full of the Spirit. Now, again, we're not a legalistic church. You want to go out and have a beer? Go for it. Right? You have freedom in Christ to do that. The Bible obviously talks about drunkenness and things to excess. But he says, don't miss this. Don't be drunk with wine, but be full of the Spirit. Meaning, if you're full of a substance, this was Paul's context. At that point, it was wine. It could be several things. If you're full of a substance, you can't also be full of the Spirit. As somebody who wants you to live in the Spirit and what, in the fullness of what God has for your life, I want you to allow God to be what full, you're full of and not any type of substance. Sound good? All right. Let's move on. The last one. Sometimes it's just selfishness and preference, right? So it's easier. If we're going to have an honest dialogue today, I will tell you, it's easier just to pick one camp or the other. You've probably had this dialogue with somebody at some point in time. I'm a truth person. I'm a grace person. It's easier just to set up camp in one or the other and identify as that. But Jesus said it's never been about picking one camp or the, camp or the other. It's been about pursuing the fullness of both. But when we do that, it's messy, Guys, it's messy. I promise you it's messy. Let me give you an example. If a crack addict prostitute, and I use, I'm going using that example for a reason. If a crack addict prostitute comes through those doors and comes into this church, she is going to be met with grace. But what if she keeps coming back? And when she keeps coming back, now she starts to solicit some of the men in here. And then she starts bringing her pimps, and the pimps start trying to solicit some of the women. This just got kind of weird, didn't it? Sorry, I took this analogy too far. Right? At some point, we have to represent the fullness of both, because if we don't, like truth without chaos is often condemnation and judgmental behavior. Grace without truth, it's chaos. 
And oftentimes it's license to continue to live in your sin. Sometimes we just pick one way or the other because it's easier for us. Maybe in order to get that job, you couldn't represent that you had certain beliefs. And so you shelf truth in that moment. Maybe in order to make that business deal, you had to offer more grace towards something that you didn't feel good about. Right? We do this. Sometimes our pendulum swings because we want to pick one camp or the other depending on how it's going to benefit us in that moment. Friends, I guess what I'm saying, if I were to wrap up this conversation, is don't be a swinger. You can tweet that. That's free. Take that home. What'd your pastor say today? He said, don't be a swinger. Awesome. Guys, we're going to get this wrong. Let me just let, I'll let you off the hook a little bit. You're going to get this wrong, okay? But it doesn't mean we stop pursuing the fullness of both. You're going to get it wrong. But you know who didn't get it wrong? Jesus. And there's several examples that I could give you, but I want to give you one particular example out of John's Gospel and chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple, and a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them, and as he was speaking... The teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Man, pay attention to the emphasis of those words. She was in the the middle of the act, and they caught her. And so it could have been very fresh in that moment. Who knows if the woman was even naked? I don't know. But they bring her out, drag her out, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses, Old Testament, says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. You know what many scholars speculate here? That he stooped down, and as he was writing, he started writing the names of everybody in the crowd and their sins. And so, I, again, just infer here, maybe they're saying, so what are you going to say, Jesus? What are you going to do here? We just caught her. She's breaking the law of Moses. Big deal. And maybe as they're kind of confronting Jesus, they're kind of looking, like, what's he doing? What's he writing? And they see their name, and they see what he begins to write about them. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. You bet they did beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Can I say something here? I think he leaned. I think he leaned in her direction. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, said Jesus. Jesus said, Well, neither do I. Man, sometimes... I say something in the middle of my sermon, and I think to myself, maybe that's your takeaway. Neither do I. Friends, Jesus is not condemning anyone this morning. But then he says, go and sin no more. You see what he did there? He actually led with grace. He led with grace, not after this woman had walked away from her sin, not after this woman had gotten her act cleaned up, he leaned in her direction right after she was drugged out of a bed sleeping with somebody that wasn't her husband. 
And Jesus says, I'm not going to condemn you. But now go, grace, led, led with grace, but now go and sin no more. He backed it up with truth. Friends, you know why we extend grace first? Don't miss this. Because Jesus has plenty of things to write about us in the sand if he wanted to. You know why we should back it up with, with truth? Because grace should always be met with an overwhelming sense of appreciation that leads us to living and leaning towards God's truth. It's out of appreciation. Let me wrap up by saying a few things here. Friends, grace says drop your stones. Truth says get ready to fight against sin. Grace says come as you are. You don't got to get your life cleaned up first. Just as you are. But truth says don't stay as you are. Grace offers no condemnation. And truth offers a path to move towards Jesus. Grace is giving us something that we don't deserve. It's God leaning in our direction, but living in truth is what God deserves from us. Grace is God leaning in our direction. A heavenly lean. Truth should be us leaning back in his direction. Friends, the fullness of truth and grace is our only hope to fully represent Jesus. Let me close by addressing two audience, two audiences in here this morning. Some of you have had your fair share of religious experiences throughout life. And with religious people, maybe people claiming to be Christian, and you were fed a lot of truth without enough grace. And because of that, you did walk away feeling scarred and scathed and jaded against the church, against Jesus, maybe against God. Because all you were fed was truth without grace. And so, like I said before, oftentimes that comes through, it feels like it's delivered through condemnation and being judgmental. Can I tell you today that Jesus is leaning in your direction? And it doesn't matter how jacked up you are right now. He's not going to condemn you. Some of you maybe have come from a different context. Maybe some of you came from a church context or an environment where you were given a lot of grace, but it was never backed up with any accountability. There was no truth to back up where God wanted you to be headed <clears throat> Excuse me, in your life. And can I tell you today, listen to me, God loves you too much to let you live in your sin. You know, He's the one that says in John 10, 10, he says, I came to give you life in its fullness. You're never going to achieve that if you keep just picking the path of popular opinion and choosing whatever way that you choose in that particular day, letting your pendulum swing wherever you want it to swing. Now, I love you too much. That's why I gave you my truth. I gave you my words. I let my son Jesus come down and actually give you a living example of what it looks like to live out truth, but also to offer grace. Because if you'll do that, if you'll pursue the fullness of both, I really do feel like this is God's message to all of us. If you pursue the message of both, you will find that fullness in your life and you will best represent who my son is. And when you do that, man, that can change a human heart. One of my favorite Psalms is this. Psalm 116.2. It says, as long as I have breath, I'm going to pray. Why? Because God leans down to listen. Let's do that right now. Father, man, what is that like? To think about how 
out of all your creation, out of all the people that exist in this world, that you still lean down to listen to us. Some people in this room don't feel like they're worthy enough for you to lean down and listen to them because maybe they've been given too much truth over the course of their life. And that truth is not even your truth. It was misrepresentation of who you are and who your son is. Father, would you remind them of what your, your grace, your unmerited favor looks like this morning, that you are leaning in their direction and that you are not here to condemn them, but to save them and send them on a new path with a new purpose and a new life that will best fulfill them, but will also best represent your son, Jesus. God, for some of us, maybe we've been living underneath this umbrella of too much grace. And I, I, when I say that, I don't even think that's possible, but maybe I need to say it differently. God, the grace without the fullness of truth. And so we let ourselves off the hook too much to where we're starting to embrace our sin instead of fight against it. That was never your plan. So God, I guess what I'm trying to say is we absolutely need your help. This is tough. This is tough. But God, I hope everybody's in agreement with me this morning. This is not about whether something's hard to hear or not. It's about whether you actually want that for our lives. So God, as you continue to lean in our direction, would you show us what it looks like for us to lean in yours? We love you. We thank you for who you are. And pray this in your son's name. Everybody said.